My name is Maddie. And I'm Hannah. We are murder mystery bookworms and aspiring amateur sleuths. We are reading Partners in Crime and over the last year and a half we have gone on over 30 book-based adventures. We investigate a real-life case using advice from murder mystery authors and with the help of our feline psychics, Hercule and Hastings. We review a book, find the sleuthing tips and hopefully solve the case. Welcome to the Unsolved Case of the Missing Salmon, the book club for amateur sleuths. ever done this before by continuing to be in the meeting you're consenting to be recorded <laughs> continue i agree i consent what they're doing with their safeguarding so this is this is if i sit like this this is not you're not you're not seeing anything i'm not seeing toward are you no in fact i can just see your knees as in a kind of like okay tease if you will <laughs> <laughs> A tease, a tease. Yeah, okay, absolutely fine. fine. Obviously, let let me know if if, if there's anything you'd, yeah. you'd rather not see. Well, modesty, <laughs> modesty is intact so far, but I'll give you a shout. Um, do we have do we have any MP for today? Because it seems appropriate to talk about yesterday. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I think I I I feel sort of a bit still feel a bit hyper from last night. I feel I I was I was okay. So two things happened. I would say following last night's um mania, which I think was a real indication of where I was at mentally. Joyful. Number one, uh, got on the wrong tube. Okay. So did add about <laughs> fifteen minutes to my journey because <laughs> I copped up. Oh no. Very and I, I knew what had happened. You know, when you, you get on the tube, doors close, and even as they're closing, you think, I know what I've done here. And before, before the person, the woman, the automated robot made an announcement, I started laughing to the carriage because I just thought, I know what's happened here. So that, so that happened because I was just oh, no. excited, <laughs> not paying attention. When I got to Ballum, which is where I live, Mike was at the pub with his friends, so I went and had a couple of pints. Oh, amazing yeah i got really overexcited and got got home at like half 12 <laughs> wild because no. i was just in such a i was in such a a hyped mood well we should probably explain to listeners why you were in such hyped mood well we went well to the long away i feel like it was it was it was hyped up wasn't it we really really drew out i was so hyped up we went to go and see the longest running theatre production on the West End, The Mousetrap. And wasn't it, wasn't <laughs> it something? <laughs> I just had an Wasn't thought. it something? It was, oh, me too, me too. Uh, the great thing about it is The Mousetrap is hyped. That I feel there's a lot of hype yeah. around The Mousetrap. And as we know, I can be wary of hype. But I've seen the mouse trap before, so I knew it was going to be fantastic and that the oh, hype was worth it. Maybe that's like the ultimate combination then of like in terms of hype, because I'm quite happy with a hype thing. Um, you, you approve, then we go, because I, I will be delighted anyway. <laughs> have your, you won't be like, oh, too much hype, rubbish. Great. <laughs> um yeah so it was a real thrill. I mean, to be in the theatre oh. was just it was magical it was magical got quite got a little bit a little bit of a tear 
and then they also yeah it was yeah it was yeah it was so it was great and also because of the the current restrictions you couldn't go to the bar although I was confused because people did seem to be going to the bar but it meant they bought drinks to you <laughs> which was I mean that's way better than having to go to the bar agreed agreed it was amazing but also we obviously will not reveal who done it because Absolutely we did not. We made a pact with the actors yeah. that we wouldn't say. However, I can say that Maddie cracked the case in the interval. Oh, were you annoyed? <laughs> were you like, oh, that's annoying because she's not going to be. No, no, I was impressed. I was impressed. And it does support my, what I knew already that you're amazing at cracking a mystery. I actually think, to be honest, it, it is. It's now, it used to be luck, I think. And now I think okay. I've moved on to, I've read so many, mostly Agatha's, but also other murder mystery books that there's, there is an element of formula to it, I think. Skill. Uh, as you go on. Skill. Skill and formula that um, <laughs> it's harder to, harder to be led up the garden path, I think. Yeah, harder, but I think that's why I love Christiana Brand so much because she, she, she even if you think you are a super sleuth, you will get duped. She's wrong. She'll make you feel like you're wrong. I um, yeah, I loved, I loved the twist. There is a twist. I'm not gonna tell you what it is, but loved it. Uh, the moment of it, we talked about it afterwards, right when we were by the Agatha Christie statue. Uh, we talked about the way that that's done. Excellent. Quite funny. I just thought it was so well done. Yeah, quality production. Quality. Quality, quality. mystery. Yeah, and the great cast. There's a, there's use of skis, which we liked as a throwback to the Sidford mystery. Just getting them out, busting them out for a snow travel. Excellent. Yeah, I thought it was yeah. fabulous. And obviously just being back in the theatre felt great. And they did a proper, like at the end, they said, like, welcome back to the theatre. One of them told a joke. It was lovely. It was lovely, it was really lovely. lovely. Yeah, we we highly recommend yeah. the mousetrap. If you've also, if you've not seen it and you have the means to go, hundred percent, get yourself also, there. Before we went, we went past. Well, we went to Foils first. We had quite a trip, I would say. So we met at Foils. Now I have an emotional. So many books because I used to go there with my grandma. I don't like the new version of Foils. I like the old one better, but it's still got all the books, so I can't really complain. And we went and did what I would say a new version or new era of us picking out murder mystery books in the in the crime section. Very exciting. Did that first. And then went and had some food. It was nice. Had some toasties. And then on the way to the theatre, we realised that there was a, a shop called, uh, what was it? Any amount of, any amount any of books. Any amount of books. Any amount of any books. Amount of yeah. Books. There was a second-hand bookshop right by the Mousetrap Theatre that looked like it had some absolute bargains in there. Five, I think it was five for four pounds, four for five pounds, something like that, and, and second-hand. And I, I would put money on them having some great Penguin classics in there. We didn't have time, so we had to walk past it. Yeah. Wow. Well, listeners, I, what actually happened is I had to stage an intervention <laughs> Because Maddie really wanted to go in the secondhand bookshop. And um, she's like, we've got time, just five minutes, just five minutes. I had to put my foot down and say no, because we hadn't eaten and we had to be at the theatre. 
at right. set time. We would have been so, late. We would have been late. If we'd done what we I We would have been late. We would have been late. We, there's no way we would have only been in there for five minutes. We would have looked down. It would have been half past seven. We wouldn't have been able to get in. It would have been a disaster. We would have to have either have said we won't eat or we'll miss the show or miss the start of the show, which either way yeah. I, wasn't, I wasn't prepared to do. So you made the right choice, but it's noted for that <laughs> I will be going back because it looked fantastic. Yeah. I think I think another another trip to Chang Crossroad is in order. In order. I think I think that we need to go back to foils to do that exact thing again in the future. And we can do a combination of foils and any amount of books. Yeah. So yeah, a very new way of picking picking mysteries. We just yeah. browsed, didn't we? We just browsed and we just took what you know what our heart was drawn to <laughs> random we went with randoms i guess we'll have um we'll probably talk maybe we'll talk about it a bit more in season three when we're revealing these choices yeah yeah we will we will we will look out shall we talk about the book yeah do you know what yeah let's do that let's do that what are we so no, I was just going to say, let's talk about the book. Oh, great. Let's do it. Let's do that. Okay. So today's choice, today's book that we will be discussing is The Long-Awaited oh. The Chianti Flask by Marie Belloc Lowndes. Who knows if that's right? Oh, what, in pronunciation? Yeah. Do you know? No. Or guess, what, how yeah. do you think it'd be pronounced? That's how I would have guessed it too. Or Lowndes. I mean, who's to say? Probably Lowndes. Marie's to say. Lowndes. Marie's to say. She yeah. Would know, yeah. Okay. So the Chianti Flask, I believe, was your choice. It was. Mon ami. was. Yeah. So why did you choose it? Well, I think this might be one of the most long-awaited books on a podcast in podcast history. <laughs> agreed because I think basically back in the many moons ago uh, I believe it was when you received your ECR Lorac haul at Christmas time um, of British Library Crime Classics of which this is one it, it, as we've as we've mentioned before I retaliated in jealousy and went on Hive <laughs> and bought a haul of my own but then I went on there and was like, okay, well, I'll just get a, I'll get a selection for season two. We then consequently decided to read a bit more of a range. So I didn't actually read all of them yet. Uh, although it did include the Division of Adult Mystery of episode seven. I think it's episode seven. Fiery Particle, Ellen Wilkinson. Fiery Particle. Uh, and while, while I was on there, I spied the Chianti flask. And the reason I wanted it so badly was because... Well, there's, there's not that many female writers within the British Library Crime Classics, so they're a little bit more precious when you find them. But secondly, the blurb sounded absolutely phenomenal in terms of like psychology and the courtroom, which I'll come on to. And then when I messaged Han and said, have you seen this book? It looks amazing. She too had had the same thought, but... It wasn't really it wasn't due for release until May 2021. And this was, I think, maybe in December. So we ordered it on pre-order, which I've never done before. And it turned up. Never done before. Never pre-ordered a book before. Oh I love a pre-order because such you a treat forget that you ordered it and then you just yeah. get a book. It felt like I'd yeah. ordered myself a gift or I'd received a gift that I'd paid for 
before I even <laughs> knew what I'd be doing these days. So uh, yeah, it turned up in a couple of months, a couple of weeks ago, uh, ready for <laughs> ready for the end of season two. Oh, I'm absolutely thrilled. I really am. Great, great. Excellent reason. And you alluded there to the blurb drawing yeah. you in. Yes. So could you give us a brief summary? I'll give you a brief summary. The Chianti. How do you pronounce it? Chianti. Chianti. I say Chianti. Chianti. Chianti flask. Chianti flask. I, I say Chianti. Other people may say Chianti. There's no right answer here. Well, there probably is. Okay, well, there's right a wrong answer. answer. Just to be inclusive, you know. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. Are you Googling? No, no, no. I'll tell you what I'm doing. I'm just uh, I'm just getting my notes ready. Oh, I know. Wild. I didn't do notes for this one. Bit, bit rubbish. Uh, I've done notes for other got, books, not this one. Rubbish. No, I've got some brief notes. Anyway, sorry, we're, I, we digress. Digress. Uh, summary for the summary. Chianti Blast. So normally no. I would attempt to do an actual summary, but given that I've referenced the blurb and how much I thought it sounded great, I'll do the blurb first, but maybe I'll add some, I'll pepper it with some thoughts. So <laughs> um, reading the blurb, I immediately realised it says an introduction from Martin Edwards. I didn't read that. I forgot. I, I was like, don't read the introduction this time. You don't want to be, don't, you want to colour your opinion of the book as we've discovered before. I'll go back to it at the end. I forgot I didn't do that. Okay. So... An enigmatic young woman named Laura, do you say Dowsland? I'd say Dowsland. Great. Stands on trial for murder, accused of poisoning her elderly husband, Fordish. It seems clear that the poison was delivered in a glass of Chianti with supper, but according to the couple's servant in the witness box, the flask disappeared the night Fordish died and all attempts to trace it have come to nothing. The jury delivers its verdict, but this is just the end of the beginning for Marie Belloc Lounders. Lounders? Lounds. Gripping story. First published in 1934, this exquisitely crafted novel blends the tenets of a traditional mystery with an exploration of the psychological impact of death, accusation, guilt and justice in the aftermath of murder. So um, this particular book, it, the beginning is the, the verdict in the courtroom is the start of the book. So you start in the courtroom, you hear the outcome and then the rest of the book happens. It's like what is what happens next um, which is quite unusual, I think, for a read. Um, Very unusual. And I think, as we already know, you know, we talk about the plot and who done it. Laura is found to be not guilty because it all still, I guess the whole case, it really pivots on this one detail, which is a Chianti flask, which is missing. And the, the servant, the, Ital the young Italian servant, D'Angelo, I think is his name. Um, yeah, Angelo. Angelo. Angelo uh, he states that he put a, uh, one of the flasks on the tray that went up to Fordish's room. And Laura claims that he didn't. And yeah, that's there was no flask. There was no flask. However, there were 24 flasks and we do know that, that one is missing. That's, so that's kind of what the case pivots on because the claim is is that there's poison in the wine in the county that was drunk by Mr. Dowsland, Fordish, who sounds like a bit of an ass to be honest, but either way. Oh, well, yeah, absolutely. Will I say now? Yeah, I'll say now. It turns out she did it anyway. So you spend the whole book thinking that, what well, we know that the lawyer has got her off for not having done it. She bloody did. She did. So, oh, can I ask you about 
that. Yeah. Were you surprised? No. You were surprised? No. No. No, I wasn't either. Good. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I thought, I kind of thought it would be too perfect for it not to have been her. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I just I thought from very early on I was like she's just playing everyone. That's she what is. I thought. I mean, it doesn't quite it doesn't quite end like that. She's not as she's not the sort of the exceptionally clever mastermind that I hoped she would be. No, because I guess ultimately she's just been in this like like horrible marriage and she's just had enough which makes her she's it it makes her very much very she's very human she's very human you feel like you feel very sorry for her because she's this young girl she's 30 years younger than her husband I think she's a governess of these um this couple whose name escaped me Hathaways the Hathaways Haywards the Haywards and they they know Fordish and then she marries she's she meets him through them and they and they basically are like marry him marry him marry him so in the end she just gives in and then she has a horrible time with him which sounds sound it did sound pretty grim yeah I'm kind, of, I'm kind of with her to be honest yeah I mean he was a really weird man for dish <laughs> so he was obsessed with Italy um he sort of bought loads of statues weird. and put them in the garden um he only drank wine and coffee weird um it never they never ever explained why he was so obsessed with italy no i thought they I didn't know if that was code for something it's like why didn't he just go and live in italy was my first thought because <laughs> he was always moaning about not being able to have italian food yeah um but then his i thought his very worst crime and I'm sure you probably agreed with me, is he wouldn't let Laura go to the library. Well, I could not. And wouldn't let her read books. That. Which is shocking because also that would have saved him money because then she would not buy her own books. Mm. And it keeps her occupied. Mm. I mean, what, what more yeah. do you want? Yeah, he said it would, you know, affect her eyesight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and her appearance. Rubbish. Anyway, we digress slightly. I know you started to sort of share your thoughts, but what did you think of it overall? Um, overall, I think it's as you've mentioned, as we've talked about before, always a bit tough when you have the high expectations about a book. Always a little bit tricky. Hype when hype. there's hype, yeah. And I think because I wasn't shocked, I was a little underwhelmed because I wasn't like, oh my god, this is this like kind of because it really in reality I didn't really read it as a mystery yeah though, same here there is an element of mystery of like did she actually do it or does she not do it but I think a lot of it was about more, more about like human nature than than about murder mystery so I was a little bit I wasn't I wouldn't say disappointed because I did enjoy reading it and I got I was a really quick read but I was a little underwhelmed, but I did enjoy, I did enjoy like the, the general story. I found it a little bit tedious at times, the back and forth between Laura and the guy that falls in love with her. What's his name? He's called, he's got a really odd name, Mark Scratton. Doesn't, it's not really a very, doesn't make him sound very attractive, does it? It really doesn't. Scruffy and like, <laughs> like old Scraggy a little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
I found I was a bit like it just got a bit bit tedious because it was like oh he fell in love with her she they, they, they become like really good friends and then she like says oh I love you as well and the next day she's like no not really and then the next day she changes her mind she went back and forth too many times she got a bit bored of it so that annoyed me a little <laughs> and I thought this isn't a murder mystery this is just like a kind of not even very not even very exciting love story <laughs> um so I got a bit, a bit frustrated with that yeah there, were a, there weren't that many I didn't think there were that many aside from Laura who obviously is the main character and takes action to get out of the situation she's in I didn't think there were that many like strong female characters in it which annoyed me Mrs Hayward or whatever her name is the friend really irritating didn't like her at all she's basically like a overly like overly molly coddling friend with like too much too many opinions which is annoying although I guess in some ways she felt very like I, I recognize that person you know you, you read I read her uh-huh. and thought I know somebody like that everybody knows somebody like that but not like a strong female character although I did I did think was a good depiction in some ways of the realities of what many women would go through at the time yeah. of having to marry somebody that isn't actually you know that they don't necessarily want to marry but it's the only choice they have so I did think it was in that sense like a kind of good good comment on that because it didn't unlike some reads where that is that's a that's a thread of the story and you feel like disappointed that that's what's happened it felt like she was commenting on how like absolutely unfair that is which in a sort of more of a feminist slant which I did think was really well done yeah that's a bit of food for thought to begin with what did you think yeah well I thought it was a slightly odd read maybe oddly shaped perhaps like the Chianti flask (laughs) of the mystery (laughs) um yeah I felt that it was in terms of like an actual plot not much happened Mm -hmm. if at moments the conversations felt like quite thinly disguised discussions about marriage and what it means to be a wife and what it means to be a husband um I do think for the time because it was published 1934 I do think the end is quite radical in that at the end Dr. Mark Scratton, who's fallen in love with Laura, who he has worked out, killed her former husband, says, if I'd been a woman, I might have done what you did. And I think that fact that he admits that he might have done the same thing is I think that I think that's quite a controversial end. Yeah, I think so. And it is also it then I think it gives it gives fuel to the rest of the book being that that comment. Mm. Even if even mm. if it's not necessarily even if it is a bit heavy-handed at times, it is her saying this isn't that this wouldn't have been that unusual. However, mm. it's not fair. You know, it's it's cruel cruel on the on the young women yeah yeah and I think as well there was something what I suppose what saddened me is I yeah I thought Laura probably had killed him Mm. but I actually thought do you know what fair enough 
he <laughs> he was abusive yeah. at the time there would have been no other way for her to escape the marriage uh, she didn't have you know any money she had clearly been traumatized by her experience so her killing him I think you could could empathize with that that she had just been pushed to the limit and that was her only option and I suppose this is a reflection of the time but the extent to which after the trial she is completely almost destroyed by her guilt Mm. and their point in the story where Mark discovers the Chianti flask, discovers that she's murdered, but actually he's he's not going to, going to report her. He goes and buries it in the woods um, so that no one will actually ever find out the truth. Even though he has accepted that about her, she still says that she's going to kill herself. Yeah, but she's gonna wait and do it at a time when it looks like an accident. Yeah, and I found I found that quite depressing. Uh, but that was maybe my own urge because what I what I was really hoping was going to happen is that uh, Laura was going to sort of lure Mark into a marriage, and then there was going to be a jump forward and another and she one him as well. That would have been. That would have been pretty epic, actually. And yeah, that would have been epic. And that she's she's sort of just because they kept talking about widow. how she was, yeah, yeah, how she was this exceptionally clever woman. But then the fact that she wasn't like that was, as you said, much more realistic. Oh yeah. But more I did. I didn't. Yeah. Not, not so, like it felt a bit like I felt a bit guilty in some ways for wanting it to be more dramatic than it was because I kept thinking this is the reality and this does make it more believable and authentic. But also, I want the dramas. Yes. Yeah. Same here. Yeah. And I think as well, I felt a bit. I actually found Laura really irritating and annoying. So on the one hand, I was thinking, oh, you know, you've managed to escape this abusive husband and you've got the opportunity to have a new life, albeit a life where she knows she can never escape the trial. But I don't know, she was a bit limp, wasn't she? But then again, that's realistic because she's someone who's come out of this awful crushing relationship but I think that's when you because I was I kept I was basically dancing that line the entire book of like realistic versus like great story um and I guess that's what you, you it comes back to which we've said so many times in the series which is what do you come to read the book for are you there for this like kind of serious comment on women's life or are we there for a cracking tale (laughs) so yeah yeah yeah. and I mean she as a writer fascinating Uh, she was a journalist a suffragist and best-selling novelist um she she I I did read the intro actually and yeah I mean she had she was had this very wide social circle so at various times through her life she was friends with Oscar Wilde, Henry James, H.G. Wells, um, George Meredith you know she was sort of in this uh, social 
uh, sort of writerly circle. Um, but it also talks in the introduction about her focus was on why done it, examining criminal psychology in a leisurely manner, reminiscent of Edwardian era fiction, rather than who done it and the creation of convoluted puzzles. So she is is very different type of writer to Christie and Brand and Anisia Lorak as well, a different type of writing. I'll tell you what, Captain Holt would not approve of why done it either. No. Why have they done this? <laughs> why why have they done this? Exactly. <laughs> Who has done this and why have they done this? Yeah. I did think that um that the first chapter or like the f- the opening section around being in the courtroom was probably the best bit of the book because yeah. it, it did feel really well it felt exciting it felt, it felt really real like she'd obviously done her research of what it would be like to be in the courtroom um and i thought that was that was the most exciting part because i think also the psychology of the courtroom is so interesting anyway i mean i did think that exploring this idea of okay what happens to someone after they've found being found not guilty mm. is ah. um is an interesting one and it was the fact that the solution that mr haywood gave was well obviously you're gonna have to change your name and, and move abroad that's that, you know that is your only your yeah. only solution that's the that's the that's the spot for innocent criminals to yeah. canada and i suppose as well there was that that sense of women being complicit in the neglect and abuse of other women. Yeah. Because Mrs. Mrs. Haywood did force Laura into the marriage. Yeah. You know, she had, you got the sense she knew that, that Fordish right. was perhaps, yeah. uh, things weren't right. And there's the line where Laura talks about when she comes out of prison, everyone's desperate to see her and chat with her. And actually during the trial, uh, she's been lent loads of money. People have been, um, you know, talking to newspapers about how she's definitely innocent. Um, But she reflects on the fact that in the four years of her marriage, no one spoke to her, no one visited, Mm -hmm. no one checked in on her. And she was malnourished yeah she has to spend her own money even though she's not earning any money she has to spend the money that she's I guess would have been given by her family um on food because her husband won't Mm -hmm. feed her yeah it is it's quite dark I like I did Mm. quite like the woman who only featured lightly she featured in like one chapter but the woman who had the I mean she wasn't because she wasn't a very nice woman but it was quite an amusing little section I can't remember what her name was but then she, she spoke in italics like she emph- when she emph- oh yes yeah Mrs Stevens yeah she like she basically arrived and was trying to get Mark's mother to convince Laura to, to give an, an interview to the tabloid but for a thousand pounds which pounds, yeah and she's just like go on to, to go and call her now Bob wants to speak to her today go on do it <laughs> well, I yeah quite fun I mean obviously it contributes to the like the depressing nature of of that complicity but it yeah. was amusingly written yeah I mean I do think as as an insight into being married being married at this time sounded awful okay. and the bit where Mark's mother is talking about how she waited 18 years 
to get married to Mark's father and she's convinced that he didn't stray in the 18 years that they weren't together when he was word you know off off abroad (laughs) I was thinking I'm not sure about that (laughs) you keep believing that I mean the thing I suppose the thing I did quite like which I think fits into I I don't know if it's in the introduction or somewhere else but it talks about this idea of it being sort of quietly feminist Mm. and I do actually think that for the time it would be louder feminist I think if if we're obviously thinking on it in terms of modern feminism or as modern women but for the time I do think it would have been um, quite controversial one of the elements I thought was that in the Chianti flask it is the men who are pretty soppy yeah isn't it and who are all like oh I'm, I'm so in love and I can only love one woman and um the women seem to be a bit more practical about it they're more practical um, they're also more well-rounded there's a lot more their character the way that the character's been developed is less 2d the men are very 2d very 2d and also John Hayward I mean what the fig he's got a library and he never opens the book book. what is the point that's a waste what such a waste what is the point what is the point but I think there was something there wasn't there about this idea of intelligence and intelligent women Mm. and the fact that Laura's husband didn't want her reading books was about controlling her access to books yeah, um, so true. Because that era was, you know, the attitude was like a, an intelligent woman is a dangerous woman. Yeah. Which yeah. I guess is, you know, that's over time, that has continued to be a fear. Even today, there are there are people that think that, think that. that's continued to be a, a trope, you know, to, to arm yourself with knowledge. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is power, yeah. And I think the other thing that it made me think about, particularly at the beginning, when it was the trial, the defence, Laura's defence lawyer had said that she had to wear a certain outfit. Mm. She had to wear really clear morning clothing. So all black, it had to, she had to fill the jury's idea of a, a grieving widow. But then part of the reason why the trial takes place in the first place is that the doctor who attends the scene thinks that that Laura's not acting in an appropriate way that she's not sad enough that she's not crying enough and even today it's true that jurors tend to be harsher on women who um, have committed a violent crime and there's also in you know tv and film as well when there's like a a legal pro- program, for example, How to Get Away with Murder, which Great is show. lovely Shonda Rhimes. We love her. Outside of Murder Mystery, love Shonda. Scandal, great. Scandal, great. Grey's Anatomy, great. Bridgerton, I did actually quite enjoy. Um, right, yeah. All right, it's diff- different, yeah. it's all right. Oh, um, have you watched Station 19, which is also Shonda, set no. in Fire Station? No, I haven't either, but I might check Station it out. Anyway, is that Station is that, 19? It's, it's got, got Ben in. Ben, I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, Bailey's husband's in it. But also the firefighter who oh, comes into quite a few scenes. She's Ben's, like, uh, part, 
firefighting partner. Is she the one who ends up dating Jackson? Yeah, she is. Yeah. Yeah. I'll check it out. Maybe. Maybe. Um, Maybe. Anyway, in those, in, so for example, in How to Get Away with Murder, when Annalise, the main, the main character, she's the defense attorney, when she has female clients who are on the stand, quite often you do have scenes where she's telling them about like how to act um, demure or how to kind of dress in a way that isn't provocative, for example, because it helps the jury to convince them that they're not overly sexual or that they're not too powerful, too intelligent. And that's modern day. Yeah, that's modern day, yeah. And I do think, obviously, there's that element to any trial, Mm. but I do think there is this sense of... Yeah, if you're a woman who is being tried particularly for a violent crime, that there is this added layer of it being not not obviously of course it's against we would hope that it's against human human values but that it's against this other layer of what it means to be a woman Mm. expectations of the gentler sex confuses Mm. confuses people bamboo bamboozles perhaps (laughs) yeah yeah which is i think why i had just really hoped that Laura was going to thrive in in spite of it all mm. and move on. You know that bit, there's like a whole extended bit where she's just living on her own in yeah, the beach in cottage. That beach house. Yeah, and she's just having a great time. Living she's it up. really well. She's doing what she wants, but then she falls in love with Mark. He's rubbish. And she once again becomes sort of overcome by yeah. guilt. And also even in that in that bit where she's living by herself and she's doing what she wants to do, which is where she's, her, I would say, her, just where she's living her best life in the book. She's still yeah. living in, at odds with what, what society expects of her because she's having to lie about the fact that she's living alone because everybody believes what everybody, mm. Mark and his family believe that they've she's got like a young woman staying with her, like a servant girl staying with her. And actually she's not because she'd prefer to sleep in the house by herself so she's actually even when she's doing that that section where she's she's independent and flourishing she's still having to pretend yeah I just think it was it's it's so classic of what do you come to read what what have you come to the book for yeah true that that. also as well I think that what obviously what we didn't have is we didn't ever have Laura's perspective because the book is like an, I mean like omniscient narrator and an awful lot of the book is men having conversations about women and about making the decisions for women which again realistic for the time but annoying to read annoying to read wouldn't pass best still unlike booked for murder are we are we uh drifting in yeah yeah i'm just give me one moment i'm gonna go and see if i can get the, the little blue book success you're not on a call no it's not on a call would that right. not be because we've been living in zoom life for so long now would it just not would it would it be like not appropriate for you to just walk through because surely they know you live together oh yeah no i just i try not to i try not to 
Fair. Sometimes I like crawl. I have sometimes crawled in, but obviously you have to try not try not to make him laugh. So surprisingly, the only near miss we've had is I once thought that he had finished crawl, and it, I think it's like overrun or something. So I threw open the front room door and went, "Hola!" <laughs> like that. <laughs> Uh, and he was just, he was still on the call, just about to start. So, yeah. <laughs> Did they, do you think they heard you? They may well have done. Yeah. Amazing. I think it was more that they might have seen me because I was oh, yeah, dramatic. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm ready. Yeah. Yeah. On three. Yeah. One, two, three. I'm going five. Yeah. I'm going five. It's a five for me. It did really remind me, in some ways, of a portrait of a murderer by Anne Ma- oh, Meredith. Episode three, if anyone wants to check it out. <laughs> yeah. Episode three, but the difference there is that is told, you actually get a first person, I think mm-hmm. I'm right in saying, first person narrative from the murderer. Which actually, thinking back, we didn't know this at the time, but thinking back now, we've got the rules of murder mysteries from your, that article you read. Completely against the rules. Completely against the rules, yeah. Love it. Good for you, Anne. Love it. Yeah, well done, Anne. Yeah, definitely go and check out that episode if yeah. you like a sort of a psychological why done it. <laughs> okay, so what should we write as our one line? Oh, I, don't, I don't want to use the word disappointing. Maybe like underwhelming. Too harsh. <laughs> too harsh what about maybe maybe we need to use the phrase why done this so why don't we put a psychological yeah why have they done this that lacked yeah the lacked the draw lacked the lacked the drama yes. lacked the drama we hope for yeah yeah that lacked the drama that we had hoped for in this hyped book Ooh, quite long that is quite long I'm surprised you allowed that no I know I got a bit carried away I got a bit carried away I mean I don't agree with the description here that it's gripping no I mean there are parts of it where just people are having quite a dull chat for many pages could have skimmed could have skimmed and got the gist yeah I agree I think around that middle section where it was like a almost got to the point of like a will they won't they Ross and Rachel vibe I just thought I could give up here would I would it would it matter if I gave up here what can we learn (laughs) what can we learn I tell you what we can learn if you if you are going to kill someone Get rid of the key piece of evidence. Yeah, don't don't in a bury better it. Way. Right. Don't just bury it in the back garden. Foolish. Yeah, that's that's one. Maybe also, um, if you don't want to get killed as a husband, let your wife use the library. Yeah, yeah. Let let people use the library. It'll be a more peaceful world. True that. True that. <laughs> that's yeah. the second true that you've given me today. Unusual. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Just the phrase that's come to me today. Um, okay, I think that's ample learning. Good learning. <laughs> Good learning. <laughs> or, oh, oh. Or, or 
think carefully about the name of someone who you're getting involved with because well Mark Scratton but also the husband is called Fordish Dousler now bit a bit of a a strange name but it does reference at one point that Laura did have an admirer who was called Hal Ford now that (laughs) Sounds like a name you could get behind. Hal Ford. This is my boyfriend, Hal. Probably not boyfriend. Ford. Probably like, oh, this is my husband or like my companion. Yeah, fair. Fordish Dowsland sounds like an evil, evil genius. <laughs> yeah, we, we apologise to anyone who is called Fordish Dowsland, who is a lovely person. Yeah. <laughs> I, if, you, if you are a Fordish Dowsland out there and you're not, no apologies. <laughs> no apologies needed for you. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for today's episode of The Unsolved Case of the Missing Salmon. We talked about the Chianti Flask by Marie Belloc Lounders, as well as our long-awaited trip to see Agatha Christie's The Mousetrap as theatres reopen. We are now approaching the end of season two and how time has flown, mes amis. This is our final read of the series, but as promised, we will be releasing a summer schmozzle for you with snippets of never-before-heard footage from what we affectionately call the banter in the library. That will be coming to you on the 12th of July, so watch this space. If you'd like to get involved, you can share your highlights of season two with us via message or voice note and be entered into a prize draw for a murder mystery bundle. If you send us a voice note, we will even include it in the show. Follow us on Instagram at Missing Salmon Case to be the first to know about new episodes, see photos related to the case, what's on our bookshelf, and importantly, photos of our feline sidekicks, Hastings and Hercule. It's also where you can chat to us about all things mystery. Don't worry, we will also be coming back with season three after a short summer break with even more reads and chat. If you have any recommendations or suggestions for us, please do get in touch. This podcast is created, produced and edited by Muddy Berry and Hannah Knight. Our music is sourced from Melody Loops and composed by Jeff Harvey. Thank you.